You're listening to a sermon preached at Redeeming Life Church. While they're headed out, if you want to grab your Bible and make your way to Romans. (laughs) Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. If you're using one of those pew Bibles uh, under the seat or nearby you, that's going to be on page 967. If you're using the Version app, we have an event in there, and we have put a bunch of the scriptures you can follow along. We will have some of those scriptures on the board, but ideally I'd love to have your Bibles open on your laps as you're studying and just working through this. We are going through this series in three parts. It's a big series. We're going to take it in three parts, and I am excited that we are starting in such a rich and profound book of scripture. Let's read God's word, the first seven verses this morning together. Romans 1.1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has descended of David according to the flesh and was appointed to be the powerful son of God according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. Through him, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the Gentiles, including you who were also called by Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, loved by God, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray one more time. God, I would ask you would guide me and direct me and help me that I would preach this as true as I am capable of preaching. And Lord, I ask that you would be with those who hear, that it would be received well and heard well, and that it would transform us and grow us and equip us and complete us. Lord, we are seeking that your word would do a work this morning, and it would be a continual work, that it will bring about your glory. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so when most of us are going through our reading plans and we get to the book of Romans and we read these kinds of introductions, a lot of times we just kind of jump right over them. We just skim through it. We say, you know, I just want to get on to the good stuff. I just want to, let's just go. Let's get through this. Right? Well, not Martin Lloyd-Jones. He's a 20th century preacher in London. He preached 14 sermons on just these seven verses alone. 14. That's three and a half months just focusing on this salutation. And it's rich, and it's good. He then went on to preach a total of 366 sermons through the book of Romans. And you can listen to all of them online for free at the Martin Lloyd-Jones Trust app. They're fantastic. Why did he spend 14 sermons here? Well, it's because there's a lot here. There's a lot that, that when we just skip over, we miss. And so my hope this morning is that we see something here and it's good for us and it is it, just a blessing to us in some way or another we're not going to spend 14 sermons on this just one so hopefully you can glean something uh, this morning romans i need to do a little introductory material before we get into this into the whole series so romans is just a long letter it was a letter written by the apostle paul to the church in rome It was most likely written between A.D. 56 and A.D. 58. And then according to to Romans 15, in his letter, Paul said he wrote this while he was headed to Jerusalem 
to deliver a, a monetary offering that was collected from the other churches that were supposed to be given to the poor. So he's on his way to Jerusalem, but he says he wants to go to Spain. So what he wants to do is, is get to Jerusalem, drop that off, stop in Rome on the way, and then go to Spain where Christ had never been preached before. He wanted Rome to be a minor stop on his journey. But God had different plans, and for Paul that became a major stop. Paul was given the opportunity to preach to the Caesar of Rome, at the time the, the world's most powerful leader. So God had a little bit different plan than Paul anticipated. Paul did not plant the church in Rome. In fact, at this point when he wrote the letter, he'd never been there before. He probably knew some of them, but didn't know most of them. It was just they were out there, and, and he wanted to get to know them. Now, he doesn't tell us in this letter why he wrote the letter, which is unusual. A lot of the letters, we kind of see a purpose. He doesn't say in this letter. And there are many theories as to why Paul would have written to Rome. One of those theories is that they, maybe Paul was trying to set up a missionary base to launch out of to go to Spain. He wanted to get them all prepped up. He wanted to get them theologically fueled up. Another theory is that Paul was concerned about the Judaizers who were traveling around to the churches where he, was, he planted and, and some of the false gospels that were already starting to crop up, and he thought, I'm just going to get ahead of it. I'm so sick of dealing with it at all these other churches. Let's just get it out there and get that going. Those are just a couple theories. There are many others. I suspect, although I have no proof of this whatsoever, just my gut says that there were other letters between Paul and the church in Rome. And if we had those other letters, we would have a lot better understanding of why this letter is what it is. We, we don't have those letters. Those letters were not inspired by God. They were not preserved as Scripture. And so because of that, we don't know what Paul's purpose for the book of Romans was. I do, however, know why God wrote this letter. In another letter that Paul wrote to a young pastor named Timothy... Paul said, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That's 2 Timothy 3.16. I believe, as the church has believed for 2,000 years, and as I hope you believe, that the book of Romans is scripture. And if it is Scripture, that means it's inspired by God. And therefore, if it's inspired by God and it's Scripture, then its purpose is for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness so that we may be complete and equipped. So praise the Lord for that. I pray that's exactly what us going through the book of Romans does in this series, is it equips us and it completes us. And I hope that you are hoping for the same thing. So that concludes my introduction to our book of Romans. We could have gone on for 13 sermons and introduction, but we're just not going to do that this year. My aim today is to deal with just these first seven verses, and I really do hope and I pray that there is something in here for you to do what God says his scripture will do. And I hope that you come here hoping for that as well, to be trained, corrected, rebuked, encouraged, equipped, grown, something, because God promises his word will do that. So let's open ourselves up to that this morning. Let's start with Romans 1 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle and set apart for the gospel 
of God. Paul says a lot here about himself. A lot. First, he says he's a servant of Christ Jesus. Anyone out there with an ESV, King James, or other translation that says slave or bond servant? This is a tricky word to translate in the United States. Very tricky. Because we struggle to understand what Paul meant when he said slave because we import United States thinking of slavery, and the only thing we can think of with that word is negative. And that's for good reason, because slavery in the U.S. has been terrible and tragic and and is still problematic in areas. But biblically speaking, the word had two different meanings, and they weren't all bad. Biblically speaking, there were those who were made slaves, sort of like how we understand slavery. They were conquered. They were, they were taken, and it was slavery, and it was bad. I think of Joseph, who was sold into slavery. That was going to be his lot. That was it. Or I think about the Egyptians who had, or excuse me, the Israelites who went to Egypt. And initially, they just didn't have money for food. They went down to Egypt. It helped them, but over time, they ended up slipping into a situation of slavery and bondage and and. And that's why God had to free them from that slavery. That's the one kind of slavery, and I want to be really clear, the Bible does not condone that kind of slavery at all. There is no biblical argument that that is okay. But there is another kind of slavery in the Bible. And if we understood the terminology, we might realize that, that uh, it's not as bad as we might think if we don't import the wrong kind of thinking. In this kind of slavery, there are those who enter into it voluntarily. Some translations of the Bible will use the word bond servant to help draw the distinction. This is a, a voluntary option when you can't pay your bills and you need money and you don't own property. And you go, man, what am I going to do? I know, I'm going to get a job. Okay, so we would use words like employee today. It was a little different because employee rights were definitely different then. And so you would give yourself over to a certain amount of time and a commitment and a bunch of things. However, however, This wasn't a permanent condition, and Exodus 21 states that a slave could not be a slave for more than six years, and in the seventh year, they have to be set free. So it's not like this permanent situation. It's if you have a debt, that's how much time you can to, to work off that debt. And there was a provision, and I love this, there's a provision for the slave to remain a slave in the master's care by the slave's choice. Exodus 21 says if, if you want to stay with your master, if he's good to you, you like the, the position you're in, they have a system where they put your head up next to a doorpost and they drive a wooden peg through your ear and they pierce your ear to indicate that you're a, a permanent slave to a good master by choice. Paul understood himself to be freed from the forced slavery and bondage of sin. That's forced slavery. And now he's a forever slave or servant or bondservant in the master's good care. He was in a situation not by choice, bondage to sin. And now he said, I'm free from that, but I am now a forever slave to a good, good master. Romans 6, we can read a little bit more about this. Paul will go into this. We'll see this when we get there in the series. But we find out in Romans 6, we are either slaves to sin or slaves to righteousness, there is no middle ground. You're either a slave to sin or slaves to righteousness. You obey one or the other, and unfortunately, sometimes we dabble between the two, so praise the Lord for the grace of Jesus Christ. And you might be saying right now, well, I'm not a slave to anyone. 
I'm my own person. I'm not a slave. I, I control my own destiny. Well, that's actually slavery. That's slavery to self-idolatry. Idolatry is a sin. You're living in a lie. You think it's good. It's not as good as you might think. That particular sin does not recognize that God is sovereign. He is the king. He is the Lord of all. He has what is good for you. You're completely rejecting that when you say, I control all the shots in my own life, and that is actually slavery to sin. Give it some time. See how that goes. Now, there are some others that say, well, I'm not a slave to sin. I'm a good person. I do good things. I go to church. I do this. I do that. I'm, a, I'm working on all these things because I'm a good person. I'm obviously not a slave to sin. And if this is the case, then you're a slave to works. You're still a slave and works are a terrible taskmaster. It's self-based righteousness. And at the end of the day, there's no rest. At the end of the day, you're burdened under a heavy load, even if you've created it for yourself. It's a works-based sin. It doesn't recognize the finished work of Jesus Christ for salvation. And so you're still a slave. You're still a slave to sin. You're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to righteousness. You can only serve one or the other. Romans 6.22 says, But now, since you have been set free from sin and become enslaved to God... You have your fruit, which results in sanctification, and the outcome is eternal life. Do you hear the slave language in both cases? It's in both cases. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. You were bought by a good master at a price. You're owned. You're owned. Paul knew and he understood this and he had no problem. Zero, he identifies himself in the letter as one of these slaves or servant of Jesus Christ because it was his first and his primary identity. He was proud of it because he was proud of his master. I'm in that team. I own by, I'm owned by this guy. I'm this guy's slave. I'm this guy's servant. I am a forever bond servant to Jesus Christ. That's how he identifies himself. Paul, a servant or slave or bondservant of Jesus Christ. He also says he's called as an apostle. I don't have to spend as much time on this. I think we get it. Jesus handpicked a small group of men to be very special witnesses, apostles. And it was a tough lot for them. Most of them ended up martyred and killed. It wasn't easy. They had the job of shepherding the gospel message, the witness of Jesus Christ, to the church. And then as it was written down and became Scripture inspired by God, then the church in turn became the witness of the gospel to the world. They had a very special task as this was being written down and recorded and preserved. Paul was picked by Jesus in Acts chapter 9 to be one of these special witnesses. He was an apostle, and he had to defend this a lot of times because Jesus had picked some, and some people struggled with Paul's apostleship. But he was one of them, and it's made very clear in Acts chapter 9. And the third thing he says about himself, which does seem to have a lot to do with both of these other identities, is he was set apart for the gospel. That's what he says. I'm set apart for the gospel of God. Now that can mean 
one of three things or two of those things or I think all three of those things. The first is that he was set apart as an apostle. Okay, we just talked about that, Acts chapter 9, but let me get more specific. Acts 9, 15, God is talking to the man who's going to lay hands on Paul and help Paul, and the man's terrified because Paul, Saul, was a murderer at this point. He's like, God, you want me to go see that guy? And this is what God says to him. This man, Paul, is my chosen instrument to take my name to Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. So pretty much everybody. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And then in Galatians 1.15, Paul elaborates on this. Paul says that he was set apart, set apart, the same word, from his mother's womb, called by God's grace to preach the gospel to the Gentiles as an apostle. He understood this, set apartness. So he was set apart as an apostle. He was also set apart as a missionary. So in Acts 13, we see that the church in Antioch is worshiping together. Paul's with them, Barnabas with them, a bunch of people are worshiping. And then this happens, Acts 13 too. It says, as they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart, same word, for me, Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. And then that church sent them out and they went and planted a bunch of churches and took the gospel all over the known world. He was set apart as a missionary. He was set apart as an apostle. And then this last one, I believe, is the umbrella over all of it. He was set apart as a saved one, as a blood-bought, redeemed Christian. I want you to look with me in Matthew chapter 25. We're going to look at verses 31 through 34. It's on page 881 in that Pew Bible. If you want to look at that, it's in the Version app. Matthew 25, verses 31 through 34. Verse 31 says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory with all the angels, with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them. In your translation, it might say set apart. It's the same word. And He will separate them one from another, just as a shepherd separates or sets apart the sheep from the goats. He will put a sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And if we were to keep reading, we would see what would happen to those who were not set apart to the right, but who are to the left. And it doesn't end well doesn't end well. That word separate is the same exact word Paul uses when he says, I am set apart for the gospel of God. See, Paul was certainly in the world, but he was set apart from the world. He was in the world, but not of the world. He was called and he was set apart for one or two or all three of those purposes. Paul said he was specifically set apart for the gospel of God, and ironically, it was this gospel of God that actually set him apart. The gospel did the work, and then he was set apart for the work. So what is this gospel? Well, you're in luck, because that's where Paul goes next. So Paul, who's set apart for the gospel and loves it so much, moves right into that. And one of the commentators I was reading said it was very typical in a Greek letter of the day, 
to be very short in its salutation and its opening. It would go something like this. Bob, the person that it's from, to Joe, peace to you. And then it'd move on. Okay, it's kind of like our letters. I don't know how many of you have written a letter in some time. Most of you don't even put this at the beginning of your email, but we write something like, dear so-and-so, comma, enter, enter, and then we type the body, right? But imagine that before you put the comma, you put like three or four sentences about Jesus. That's really what Paul did. He's like, okay, this is, I got to start talking about Jesus. Very out of the ordinary in what was normally happening, just like it'd be very out of the ordinary if I wrote you a letter and then did that. Okay, that's what's happening. And Paul does it with the gospel right here. Look at verses two through five. Here we go. So he just said, I'm set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was a descendant of David according to the flesh and was appointed to be the powerful son of God according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. Through him, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the Gentiles. This is, in part, a little bit, the gospel that Paul was set apart to and for. But these verses are not the gospel. These aren't the gospel. These verses are about the gospel. This is some information here. And what does he say about the gospel? First, he says the gospel was promised in the Old Testament and made known through the prophets. Okay, so that's a really good reason to read the Old Testament because the gospel was made known in the Old Testament. It's also a really good argument that we see Jesus in the Old Testament, the Savior and the hero of the gospel. It also makes a really good argument that the gospel is more than just about Jesus' earthly ministry, as a lot of people see. They don't realize it starts in, in Genesis 3 and before and goes all the way to Revelation. The second thing that Paul says about the gospel is that it is concerning Jesus. The gospel should concern Jesus. And that sounds really silly, right? We'll come back to that. He says a few things about how it concerns Jesus. One, he says he is the son of David, according to the flesh, meaning in his earthly ministry, he is a descendant of David. And then it says he is the son of God, according to the spirit. And don't get hung up here. You might have heard it a couple times. It says appointed in many of the translations. He's the son of God, appointed to be the son of God. That's a really complicated word to translate and really get to the bottom of, it means determined to be, or proved to be, or from our perspective, we understand him to be. Jesus was not appointed to be the Son of God when he went to the cross, or when he was born on earth. He was always the Son of God. He's eternal. He's forever been the Son of God. But in this case, from our earthly perspective, we now understand that it's him. We've identified him, the one the Old Testament talks about, to be the actual one, Jesus, this, this one. Not just looking to a hope. So don't let that confuse you. So, but based on this verse, the gospel must be about Jesus Christ. It's not just about being redeemed and made beautiful, the world being restored, things being made better than they are, broken things being made unbroken. If we neglect Jesus, we neglect the gospel. The sad thing is many churches and many people believe they're sharing the gospel and they don't include Jesus in doing it. 
our church is about this, or our church is about that, or we're about this, and Jesus is neglected, and they're saying and believing they're sharing the gospel. I'm so thankful at this church. I don't think that's the case here. I wasn't even sure if I was going to share that, because it seems so silly to share that with this church. But it is a reality in our world right now, and Paul says the gospel is concerning Jesus. Now, here's a question, though. Why did Paul share about the gospel rather than giving us a succinct summary of the gospel right here? Why didn't he share the gospel right here? Why didn't he share something like maybe John 3.16, God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Or Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, for you are saved by grace through faith and this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift, not from work so that no one can boast. But one more and I love this one. 1 Peter 3.18, Christ also suffered for sin once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he may bring you to God. Why didn't Paul put one of those verses in here instead of this? Why? Well, because the book of Romans is the most detailed and complete gospel presentation in all the Bible. He didn't put the gospel presentation in there because he's going to spend the next 16 chapters telling us the gospel in tremendous detail. In fact, it's often called the fifth gospel. Have any of you ever heard of Romans referred to as the fifth gospel? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Romans. Even the summary verses that I just shared with you, all three of those, all three of them still need the book of Romans to express what we really need to hear in understanding the completeness of the gospel. Because Romans talks about sin, judgment, election, atonement, propitiation, law, grace, sanctification, glorification, and the church, and all the rest of it. It's this huge, complete, wonderful book of theology. There's no better book in all the Bible to understand the entirety of Christianity than the book of Romans. So, here's my challenge to you. It's 16 chapters. My challenge to you is that you read it multiple times as we go through the series. It won't take you that long. Now, granted, I'm not doing the Martin Lloyd-Jones 366 sermon thing, so it's gonna take you, you're going to have to be a little faster than if you were at that church. But my encouragement to you is if it's this rich, that you read it. Then read it again. Read it a few times. Just hear it. Just re- don't worry too much about in-depth study. Just read it. Let it soak in. Let it soak in. We're going to get a tremendously detailed picture of the gospel here. But in the meantime, what is the gospel? Part of me thought, well, you'll get it over the next many weeks. But man, I'd be silly if if I didn't share the very thing that Paul was so set about. So I want to do it this, because I found this to be really helpful. I've used this in the past. I thought I would share it. I put it on Realm. So for you note takers who aren't going to be able to keep up, go to Realm. It's in the Iron Sharpens Iron group. Google it. Uh, if you're watching the video, you're going to maybe go back. I'm, here's what I want to do. I'm going to share a six-point summary of the gospel by John Piper. Uh, and it has some John Piper-esque-ness to it that makes it sound cool. But six-point summary of the gospel, and I'm going to share verses that support the points. I want you to notice that every one of the six points includes verses from the book of Romans. How helpful is that? I'm going to go through it once quickly, and then I'm just going to read it without the verses. Ready? Number one. God created us for his glory. Or as John Piper would say, glory. God created us 
for his glory. Romans 11:36, Romans 1, 20 through 23, and Isaiah 43, 6 and 7. Number two. Therefore, every human should live for his glory. Romans 4:20, 1 Corinthians 10:31. Matthew 22, 37, Psalm 50, 23, Matthew 5, 16, Philippians 3, 8, and Matthew 10, 37. God created us for his glory, therefore every human should live for his glory. Number three, nevertheless, we have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Romans 3, 23, Romans 1, 21 through 23. God created us for his glory, therefore every human should live for his glory. Nevertheless, we've all sinned and fallen short of his glory. Therefore, number four, we all deserve eternal punishment. Romans 6, 23. 2 Thessalonians 1, 9. Matthew 25, 46. God created us for his glory. Therefore, every human should live for his glory. Nevertheless, we have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Therefore, we all deserve eternal punishment. Number five, yet in his great mercy, God sent his only son, Jesus, into the world to provide sinners the way of eternal life. Amen, Amen indeed. Romans 5.8, John 3.16, Galatians 3.13, 1 Peter 3.18. One more. God created us for his glory. Therefore, every human should live for his glory. Nevertheless, we have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Therefore, we all deserve eternal punishment. Yet, in his great mercy, God sent his only son, Jesus, into the world to provide sinners a way of eternal life. Number six, therefore, eternal life is a free gift to all who trust Christ as Lord and Savior and supreme treasure of their lives. Romans 10, 19. Acts 16.31, Ephesians 2.8-9, Galatians 2.20, and Philippians 3.8. Probably all have it memorized by now, but let's just go through it one more time. God set us apart, set Paul apart for this gospel. I think we should just keep rehearsing it, right? God created us for his glory. Therefore, every human should live for his glory. Nevertheless, we have all sinned. And fallen short of God's glory. Therefore, we all deserve eternal punishment. Yet, in his great mercy, God sent his only son, Jesus, into the world to provide sinners like you and me the way of eternal life. Therefore, eternal life is a free gift to all who trust in Christ as Lord and Savior, and supreme treasure of their lives. This is a summary of the gospel. I think it's a pretty good one. If you're hearing this and you're saying, okay, now I hear that and I recognize it, the call here is that you would trust in Christ as your Savior and as the supreme treasure of your life. That's the Paul thing. I mean, that's the the John Piper thing, the supreme treasure. It sounds great, right? This is a summary of the gospel that Paul was set apart to and that Paul was set apart for. He was called by the gospel, through the gospel, and for the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was called. And so are you. So are you. Jesus calls us to salvation and then to service through the gospel for the gospel. You're no different than Paul. 
You're no different. None of us are any different. The gospel does the same in you and in me as it did in Paul. Look at verse 5 through 7. Through him, he's talking about Jesus. We, he didn't say I, we, through him, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the Gentiles. Verse 6, including you who were also called by Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, loved by God, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice the word called. If you write in your Bible, circle it. Verse 6, including you who are also called by Jesus. Verse 7, to all who are in Rome, loved by God, called by the saints. That ties right back to the called in verse 1. Servant of Jesus Christ, called. You are called, just like Paul was called. If you're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, you've been bought by Jesus' blood. He's made the payment. You have been purchased out of bondage and sin, out of that slavery, and now you are a bondservant to Christ, just like Paul. You are a forever slave to the wonderful and good master Jesus Christ just like Paul, and you are set apart. If you belong to Jesus, you are set apart in salvation. If you belong to Jesus, you are set apart from the world. If you belong to Jesus, you are set apart for the ministry of the gospel to the world. Early in my ministry, I was greatly helped by a little tiny book. It's tiny. You can read it in one sitting. It's a little tiny book written by Jeff Orge, called Is God Calling Me? In this book, he explored what Scripture has to say about calling. It's often given to pastors and people kind of going in that direction, but there's so much more in it. It's rich. He discovered that there are three calls that God makes in all of our lives that work sequentially. Call number one, to call number two, to call number three. The first call is the call to salvation. Okay, this call is made and put out to everyone in the world. It's the call to repent and to believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ is your way of salvation. It's the call to be saved. And I stand here and I make that call to all of you. And you'll be watching. Repent, believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior and be saved. That call is made to everyone my encouragement to you, if you have not done so, is say yes to the gospel call. And many of you have. Many of you have been baptized to, to say, look, this is what's happened in me. Now I'm going to prove it to the rest of the world. I've been called and I've said yes and I'm all in. I've died to self and I'm living for Jesus Christ. If you've not said yes to the call, say yes. The second call is to ministry service. The second call is this, this ministry call. Now, for some, that could be as serious as going into pastoral vocational ministry, call to eldership, or something really serious like this, but it might not be that. For most, it's not going to be that. It's a call to the many other ways that you can serve the gospel to the world. It might be to serve in children's ministry or to lead or play on worship. Or to just live in a hard place for the sake of the gospel. Or to go out with a church planner 
or to go be a missionary, or to lead a fellowship group, or, or even just to make a lot of money so you can give it all away for kingdom work. You laugh about that, but that's what Theophilus did, and that's how we have the book of Luke and the book of Acts. He funded Luke's work. Amen. Praise the Lord for Theophilus, who had a ton of money and gave it to Luke to do that job. Maybe that's what your call is. One of these things or many other things. Go across the street, share the gospel with the neighbor, serve this person, help make a meal, care for the, the widows and the orphans and, and help families. I don't know. I don't know. what This call is just about a ministry call. Now, they're sequential. Call to salvation first. If you're in here and you're not saved and Jesus Christ is not your savior, this second call is not for you. You have one job, get saved. Now, if you're there, there's another call. It's this ministry call. Then the last call, the third call, is to the specific details of call number two. And those specific details, they change. Right? This is the times and the places of that second call. And that's going to change. Maybe, maybe today you're helping in this cat, kid's class, but maybe tomorrow you're going to help in a different class, or maybe you lead a fellowship group in this way or that way, or work with this church planner or that church planner. We actually see this work out a lot. Paul wanted to go to Asia, but the doors were closed to him because the third call was being worked out, and he actually talks in the next section of Scripture about the third call. This section we just read, call number one and call number two. The next section, how he wants to go to Spain, God willing. How he hopes to come to Rome. Those are the, the specifics of the ministry call. Sometimes they work themselves out just like you think, and sometimes God opens doors in lots of different ways, and it plays out differently. The specifics sometimes trip us up. We think the specifics are call number two, but call number two is a willingness to serve. Then God works out the specifics from there. So you got to go to call number one, then call number two, and then you're going to get to the details of call number three. Now, some of you, you still need to face the first call. Some of you in here, some of you online, you need to face the gospel call. What do you say about the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ? What say you? Some of you have neither said yes or no to Jesus. You're just sort of going, ah, it's going to work itself out. You're just sort of indifferent. But I have bad news for you. You're either on the right or on the left. You're either a slave to sin or a slave to salvation and righteousness, Jesus Christ. There's no middle ground. It doesn't just sort itself out. If you try to keep a foot in both worlds, and then Jesus gathers all the nations for judgment, and he separates the sheep from the goats, it's not going to go well for you. You need to get this sorted out. And I encourage you, I challenge you, get it sorted out today. What say you today? Who is Jesus Christ? Most of you have answered that first call, and, and praise God for that. I really praise God for that. It's wonderful. But now, some of you, you're just coasting. You struggle to understand your purpose, your God-given purpose. You don't have any drive right now for kingdom significance to, to work a, in a way that's bigger than yourself. You're like, well, I, I got in, I'm saved, I got here by the skin of my teeth, and now I'm just going to put my feet up and coast all the way to the end. You're saved, but now what? Now, for some of you, I'm really glad you got in. But there's so much more you're missing out on. Have you read the book of Acts? Do you see the, the fulfillment that Paul got to experience because he gave his life to the master? He answered the second call. And it was crazy sometimes. 
I mean, the dude went through a lot of stuff. But I think he loved every moment of it because he was with Jesus the whole time. And he was content, and he was, he was finding that deep-rooted purpose. Have you read the epistles? Have you read that Paul was content in all circumstances? He wasn't tossed back and forth, to and fro, because the news of the day changed? Or the circumstances changed? He said, I can be content in all of it. In lockdown, in not lockdown. Lots of money, not a lot of money. Mask, no mask. Difficult politics, not difficult politics. War in the world, peace in the world. I can be content in all things because I belong to the good master Jesus Christ. That's what Paul learned by serving and answering the second call. That's what he learned. He had the peace of Christ because he knew he was set apart for gospel service. How did he know? He put it to practice. He did it. God proved himself day in and day out through the service of what Paul was doing for the gospel. And through the gospel, not only salvation, but kingdom work as well. It's so strange what happens. Like, it's really strange. You think giving yourself over to the gospel is going to be a burden? It's going to be difficult? That's not how it works. You suddenly, if you're doing it well and not out of just works, you find joy. You find connectivity to other people. You find that you get a front row seat in the way God is moving. You see his hand working. You see what he's doing. You experience joy, sanctification, growth, peace. Well, serving. If you're serving, and I mean this here, if you're serving at Redeeming Life and you're not experiencing that and it feels like a burden, please stop. Let us know. Because that's just wrong. But if you're finding your joy in service, let us know and we'll continue to equip you because it's wonderful. It's wonderful. The exact opposite thing, as you think, is actually what happens. I want to encourage that you serve. Listen, I want you to know, I don't know what God is calling you to. I don't know. Maybe it's salvation. Maybe for you today, it's you need to respond to Jesus Christ in some way, seriously, before you face him face to face. You need to get that right. For some of you, that might be the case. For some of you, it might be, I'm coasting and I need to find a way to serve in joy, to experience Jesus in new ways, even in the little things. I mean, maybe it's just driving somebody to church, praise the Lord for the people who do that, or holding the door open. How many of you miss seeing Josiah this morning opening the door and saying, welcome? He's at a conference. You could have served in that capacity. If you got a smile on your face, what a wonderful service you could have been to the kingdom. I don't know what God's calling you to, but I know this. You need to say yes. You need to say yes today, this morning. Say yes. You won't regret it. You'll be blessed by it. You'll grow. You'll know the Lord better every single day. You will not look back on your deathbed and go, man, I sure wish I would have walked less with Jesus. I promise you'll be benefited by it. Say yes today. Jesus is calling you to be saved. He's calling you to serve and be set apart for the gospel, for your benefit and for your joy. I just want to ask this question. Could you imagine what South Davis County might look like with 72 set-apart people like Paul living here or however many of you are in here? What would it look like if we all lived and functioned like Paul? What would South Davis County look like? I have to believe Not only this county and not only this state, but the world would be flipped upside down to the glory of God.
Jesus is calling you. Say yes. Let's pray. Lord, I am so grateful that you call. I am so grateful that you save. I am so grateful that we don't just coast, but that you have something of great purpose for our joy, for your glory, to benefit others. Lord, I am thankful that you set apart Paul and you show us that we are set apart. God, I am thankful for those who are saved in here. I'm thankful for those who serve, who see themselves as set apart and do it as a blessing both to themselves and to others, but as a service to you, the good master. Lord, I am grateful. Thank you for the book of Romans. Help us, Lord, take up this challenge to read it and to internalize it, to make it something we are moved by and shaped by. And God, I am begging that you would take this word that we have read and you'd use it to train us, to correct us, to rebuke us, to equip us, to give us the guidance we need into your righteousness, Lord, that we would be complete, lacking in nothing. God, I'm asking and I'm begging that you would do much with your word in our lives this morning. And Lord, I'm just hopeful that you would move us to live like Paul lived in such a way for Jesus Christ that South Davis County would look radically different this time next year. Lord, may we have that same set-apart heart and intensity because of the gospel and what the gospel has done in us and for the gospel and all of it for your glory. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. We'd love to have you as our guest. For more information, visit redeeminglifeutah.org.